1: and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers.
0: Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this.
1: Hi, it's Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here with Lynn today.
0: And this is a great pleasure today, because we haven't been together for a while, Jen.
1: I know, it's it's uh-huh. been a while, and so I'm excited to talk about what's going on. And also, right now, it's obviously the holiday season, and I think it brings up a lot of different dynamics that we can talk about related to the sexual world that we live in.
0: Absolutely, and the different generations. Because uh, this is a time where we really have different generations interacting together at the family table and on many, many activities. And it brings up opportunities to have conversations both about our similarities and our differences.
1: Yes, I think it's a great occasion to do all of that. And I think in particular, when we're talking about what creates some of the conflict that comes up, I think a lot of it is this cross-generational, not knowing how to navigate some of those more challenging conversations. And so we can talk about some of the different ways we can get through that and the importance of it.
0: Yeah. no, I've been thinking about the cross-generational effects a lot because I'm a new grandmother again, and I have a a granddaughter, little Maisie. And Maisie is the new love of my life. But it's a lot of opportunity to talk with my daughter, my son-in-law, you know, my other children about many different things because we're around the baby, dealing with the baby. There's a lot of family meals too.
1: Yeah. So what are some of the things that you've seen come up?
0: Well, I think it's been really a shift for me. I'd say being almost 70, uh, you know, I'm in the one of the older generations and there's there's many, but uh, I think one of the things I've enjoyed the most is the chance to reconnect with the very young. And before this podcast, I was telling you how my little grandson, Jamie, has a turtle that lights up the sky with stars. And it's three colors, blue, green, and orange. And every night he chooses a color for the night or for his mood. And that's something that I've really learned to share with him. It's his conversation. Pretty simple. Tonight is a blue night. And, uh, you know, but... Yeah, I love that. It's a wonderful Opportunity to cross generations. And you and I were laughing before the podcast. We're going to get the turtles. We need the turtles. (laughs) Yeah. So, but uh, that's an opportunity. But there have been struggles, you know, about mothering and who's the mother when there are a lot of different mothers and whose mother's whose mother. And uh, a lot has had to be worked out. And I've had to learn to listen very, very carefully. I mean, I think that's one of the things that we come back
1: to all the time is the importance of using your voice, but also the importance of holding space for just listening.
0: Yes. What about you, Jen? How's this holiday season? What's it been like for you here in San Francisco?
1: Well, it's been really interesting because with Thanksgiving this year, there was a major shift in the family where in past years... Um, my husband's uncle had been sort of in charge of the Thanksgiving meal. And this was the first year where there was a shift in in the generation in terms of me, my husband, his cousins, and their partners. We were the ones in charge of it. So it, it was very interesting to think about how things are the same and how things are different and Definitely, I think around the holidays, what comes up a lot is that a lot of men feel out of place because it's such a domestic sphere type thing. You're in the home, you're dealing with things that our society has labeled as much more feminine, the cooking and the taking care of the home and like the socializing and social gathering and I think it's very interesting for me to observe different families from hearing from the clients that I work with, and then the family th- that I belong to, and the different family groups that I belong to now after marriage, and how everybody navigates these different spheres
0: wi- in, in different ways. And you mentioned men feel left out at this time, and I've seen that too. Um, at various things at Thanksgiving dinner, there's some of, you know, the transition with the Me Too movement, where men feel somewhat attacked by that, both younger men, and certainly men in my generation, the 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, they do feel attacked. So that's a factor. And you and I also shared that I think a storm is, is coming to our country. And you know, we need to have it happen, but I anticipate that there will be an impeachment of our president, at least by the House, within the next few months. And these are the kind of the, the calm before the storm period. Yeah. And how do these men feel about all of this? You know, they must feel that coming, you know, and they have these other experiences and they have their own cultural background. And it's a challenging time, I think, for that group. I think
1: the other challenge is that, from what I've observed at least, a lot of these men are not socialized to have the type of conversations that women have. So they socialize with each other, but they socialize around things that are much more surface level. And so it leaves them much more I don't know if "vulnerable" is the right word, but it it leaves them a little more lost in terms of how to navigate it. They feel a little more alone, and and so a lot of the conversations that I've been having with some of the clients that I do have in this generation is just walking them through being able to to navigate their own thought process and do some introspection and be able to express their own frustrations in order to create
0: space to be able to better listen to the women in their lives. And that's very important work and very hard, I think, for many men in my generation to do. Um, I had mentioned earlier that I have one patient who's just a wonderful man. He's had a lot of therapy. He suffered abuse when he was young. Yeah. And he's writing a letter to each of his children and grandchildren, really talking about what he thinks is most important in life, and that's a way that he can begin conversations with all of these next generations. Of course, he's had a lot of conversations that have helped him to get to that point, and many, I think, of our listeners are living with men who really haven't yet had those conversations. They're at a beginning phase of it.
1: Right, and I think on the flip side is talking with a lot of my female or women patients, and I think they have a lot of anger that's been simmering too. So, you know, having this combination of men who feel that they're attacked and women who feel very angry, sometimes it creates a lot of conflict there because neither is able to really be in a space of listening and so it's how can you have these conversations and be able to express yourself so that then you can create the space where you can be
0: better at listening
1: to somebody else's frustrations too.
0: And you describe it so sensitively, Jen. That's really important. One of the things I think we've seen in the last few days is that when an older woman you know, stands up, Nancy Pelosi in her 70s and is able to demonstrate really how to navigate a challenging man such as our president, President Trump. She stands as a role model really for the rest of us. And I had this experience at my own Thanksgiving table where I realized as a senior woman, I had to speak out loudly in certain areas because women are still being silenced, not listened to, and men will listen to a senior woman. Whereas they'll kind of poo-poo or criticize a woman who's closer to their age.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think it's a very important thing for our listeners to pay attention to and
0: understand. I think what helped me at the dinner table or the Thanksgiving table to see it was I could see the faces of the younger women making choices that I might have made years before to be quiet or to accommodate or to blow something off or to ignore it. And looking at their faces, I realized, (laughs) I I am a psychiatrist and analyst, but I realized the internal struggle. That's what prompted me to speak, really, was that I can't have another generation go through that, you know, that struggle and those years of silence and the the internal conflict that women face with that. So, um, you know, I have to use the power I have that I've earned and is mine to really help that. And that helped me. I don't know if it's helpful to other women my age, but that helped me to speak out. And I'm certainly compassionate to the men who've had their own struggles, but you know women's voices need to be heard at this time
1: oh absolutely there there's no question of that. I certainly don't challenge that at all. I just think it's very interesting to try and navigate what is a very tricky situation because you have a lot of people wanting to be heard and you can as we know like you can only hear one person <laughs> at a time right so it's like how do you navigate that in in these situations and i i think even being able to give insight into the internal struggle because i think not everybody is aware that that even happens because it's behind it's internal you know yes. so being able to express what is internal externally. And I think one of the things that's shifted in this generation is social media and being able to connect and go, oh, I'm
0: not the only one. Yeah, that's that's one of the great things about your generation is you can <laughs> at any moment find hundreds of people that have somewhat similar experiences. But I think it's still important to know our internal world is still only ours, and mm-hmm. it really works that way. But we get more insight into it through the social media. You know, that with the younger children, the very young, the two-year-olds, three-year-olds, that's been the big eye-opener for me, how connected they are yeah. through already through social media. You know, I mentioned my little two-year-old grandson, Jamie FaceTimes easily, and he's more facile with FaceTime than he is in one-to-one conversations almost. Mm. You know, so that's a tool for him yeah. that he's using. And I see this with the other little boys in the preschool. yeah. So it's really an interesting way to approach it. Maybe we need to give these tools to the older men or something. You know, There something's got to help and, and work it from that side. Mm. You know, but women speaking out, younger women supporting each other. You know, men supporting women and speaking out, all of these things have to happen. I think a huge
1: part of it, too, I'm sure I've brought this up before, but as I'm listening to you talk, it just strikes me again is, honestly, unfortunately, the world we live in, there is a certain group of men that will only listen to other men. And so it's really, really crucial that the men who are listening to women are are sharing with these men who only listen to men about these issues. Because the other thing I remember you talking about, and I've seen during different family table conversations, is if there is one, one of the men saying something that you know the other men don't agree with, they don't call them out in that situation. And so it becomes maintaining the status quo or leaving it unchallenged leaves, leaves that person
0: thinking that what they're saying
1: is okay.
0: And that seems to be part of the guy rules. And the guy rules, at least for my generation, are you might say to somebody later, hey, that was uncool. You drank too much. Do you know what you did? And a lot of my guy patients describe having these conversations with their friends after the dinners and really saying, look, you really screwed up. But they will not do it in a group setting. It's a so, behind the doors kind exactly. of thing. So mm-hmm. what do we do about the group setting? When you're at the table and there is that call out, I, I mean, I think there are a couple of things. Here, redirects are important. Mm-hmm. Here, the matriarch, you know, because there is usually a matriarch at yeah. these parties. It has to speak out, you know, and to work ahead to contain it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think also, you know, For many parties, it's been clear for a long time, keeping the alcohol monitored and watching it carefully and the substances, because they make it often easier to be at these parties, but also harder to be at these parties.
1: They make it easier for you as an individual, but not
0: part of the group dynamic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I think there's a lot going on right now at these parties, and they can be explosive. They really can.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think it's also very interesting to navigate. There are some, like if it's a huge family gathering, sometimes these are people that you do not spend a lot of time around. So you're navigating like, do I make this a pleasant time when we're all getting along because we rarely see each other? Or do we stay and have some of these more challenging conversations because they're important? And I don't have like a, Clear answer on that, but I know it's something I've navigated before in trying to figure out like, okay, this person is part of my extended family and they're a Trump supporter, and a lot of the things that they're supporting go against everything that I work for and my values. And do I stay quiet because we want to get along or do I speak up? And I think it makes me really think a lot about politeness and how. I mean, obviously, I believe in respecting other people and being kind. At the same time, I think that politeness has been used as a way to silence people. And the attempt to keep things comfortable over talking about challenging subjects, I I think we need to have more conversations around where that line
0: is. And we're at a time point in history where these conversations are hard to avoid. Yes, so they' they're kind of out there now. Yeah. Um, I like the word civility mm-hmm. that we treat each other civilly and respectfully, yeah. as other individuals who count equally. And I think we emphasize that word, not so much politeness. But that we are civil, because politeness yeah. has a condemnatory tone for women. Oh, you you must be polite. Don't say anything sort right. of thing. But I think being civil and respectful mm-hmm. is very, very important uh, for everyone in the family setting. We do not see it in politics now. No. The language is egregious right now in the political situation, And just on my uh, Twitter feed and iPhone this morning, I saw an amazing number of words. You know, I'm not being critical of even the use of the words, but the fact there would be so many, they're exposed to others, and it makes the whole situation inflamed with this language.
1: Well, I think we have to be careful of becoming more polarized. I know that I moved in that direction, too, as we surround ourselves with our bubbles where... You know, the people around us believe the same things. And so we're on the same page. And, and if you don't step out of that circle, which often happens around family gatherings, large family gatherings, too, because of the ger- generational differences, I think it's very easy to just get stuck in your own world and your own thoughts. But... Part of what I think is so helpful in the conversations you and I have is we grew up at different times and we're able Mm. to stay open and curious about how the events either socially or just experientially shaped the beliefs that we have. Because I see it a lot with Nancy Pelosi, where a lot of the younger generation are very frustrated by her and want her out, and yet at the same time, she also has been a huge force. And I think instead of having like a black and white, like, you know, she needs to do this or she doesn't need to do this, we need to talk about the context in which things are happening and why she may have made choices she made in the past or why she's making choices she makes in the present and why we want different things.
0: And she offers all of us, I think, at this point, a really good example. She came up with others in the Democratic Party for shared power mm-hmm. for younger generations. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's an editorial in the New York Times today about Theresa May and Nancy Pelosi. Why do they have to set their date to leave the powerful position mm-hmm. when no no man ever had to do that? Right. Is the question. Right. But I think what they're offering us is an opportunity Power shouldn't be hierarchical completely. It should be shared. Mm -hmm. So the idea that a good matriarchal figure shares the power with younger women and men is is amazing, really. And that's a model for our dinner table. How do we make that happen and emphasize that the power can be shared? We all have it.
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, I, I think there are other things around it, too, in terms of, I think women now in my generation forget how recently some of these changes have come about. And so there is an aspect of, I think, complicity in all of us that we have to navigate. And I think having conversations with my mom about it is very interesting because obviously, you know, she's a different generation than me. And we talk about some of the things, some of the challenging gender struggles that she's had to deal with that I don't have to deal with now. And I wonder about, like, Some of these two and three year olds, what they're going to think about what I do that keeps me complicit in this system because we're all kind of a part of it. And I think each generation has an opportunity to kind of peel back the layers a bit more. And so it's just very fascinating to me to think about the things that I don't see in my own life.
0: I agree with you, Jen. I think we're all complicit in some way. And I think about when I was a young doctor 40 years ago that they encouraged you to be complicit. There were books written about, Hmm. for women in in business and other areas, really emphasizing that you act a certain way. And part of that could be a guidebook for complicity. You know, how do you act? What outfit do you wear? All of that. Those books existed, really. How to Exist in a Man's World and it wasn't lean in i know there's a lot of criticism of lean in and i have my own criticisms right. but this was kind of lean out or stand up or walk talk and look like a man but be a woman they were strange books but they were books really on co- what we would now call from our cultural perspective complicit books and uh, i agree with you i think every generation of of women and men you know how quiet are they how complicit with Bad things are they? Who doesn't speak out? It's a whole lot of things.
1: Well, I think also like so many of us are at this point, especially in my generation, we want to fight the system. We want to overthrow it. And we have to take into account too though, but how do you navigate when you're inside of that system as well? You know, it's it's not that simple. And instead of Getting into these more rigid ideas, which I think are a very sort of hierarchical type thinking, how do we have the conversation about the challenges and how to navigate it? And we're essentially building a whole new system from the ground up.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully we're building it, and hopefully it will really grow and be built and and change and build on really what we have. We have some, particularly in our country, we're fortunate to at least have some ideas about power, though they were largely only applied to white men. But we do have some base for that to really work from, and we're really, I think, fortunate there. So we want to take that. And really open that up for the rest of us.
1: Yeah, because bringing it back full circle back into the home, I think one of the things that is so striking is that because of the way the gendered uh, roles have played out in our society, the home is still treated as a very women's space type area. And because of that, navigating the power there, I think brings up a lot of really interesting dynamics because the men are not the ones in charge of these holiday gatherings if you're in a more stereotypic kind of family situation. And what I've noticed is that a lot of men in those situations feel out of place and they become very aggressive. And so women are like overburdened with having to manage this whole household social gathering interactions. And the men sort of don't know where they
0: fit in. Well, back to that conversation, they're at the table, I think, with men in that situation, having navigated more than 50 years of those dinners. I think you have to assign tasks, look for what they're good at, the whole idea of they carve the meat or the bird or the turkey or the tofu. Now we have tofu. Um, You know, that's their assignment. They really need to be given a role, whether it's the name tags at the table and the setup for the table or maybe the after-dinner games, but they need to be pulled into this and be part of it. One of my stepsons is a great follower of Otolenghi, and he makes a lot of wonderful vegan dishes. And that's a real contribution he's made to our meal is bringing in the vegan aspect of that and healthier food choices. But I think we have to look for how we can integrate men so they feel that they are part of it. We're still going to have those lone wolves. Uh, You know, I call them kind of working the table and they're angry. They don't have a place and they're running around causing trouble a lot of the times.
1: And I think also to talk about women, because some women get very defensive of that space because it's one of the few spaces where I think they get to own their power. So I I don't think we I mean, uh, of course, we can't get too essentialist here, but I think there are some aspects that do play out. And so that that is another thing that I navigate with my clients is. I do have women coming in that are very frustrated that the men are quote-unquote taking over because it's one of the few things in their life that that the women get to have power over. So I think it really goes back to having these conversations. How do you share power? How do you at least bring out the dynamics that are happening so you can start to reevaluate whether that is this pattern you want to have continue in the family.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap this up soon, but I think to carry forward the idea of the shared power and how to do it, and at least to be attuned to it and be listening to who's sharing power at the table and who isn't and why, it's really important for us to look at that. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, thank you so much, Lynn. It was great to talk to you today. It's great, Jen. Come on. Let's
0: talk about-